What's up, everybody? It's I'ma Let You Finish. It is show number 146, and we have a special guest today. Amy? Uh, no, I'm not the special guest. I'm here every goddamn week. <laughs> well, it's about time you realized I'm special, Courtney. Sometimes. No, we have writer, author, critic, real professor, unlike me, who just, they call him professor. She actually has a doctorate. Kim Mack who has written a brand new book as part of the 33 and a third series called Time's Up. And it's about Living Color's sophomore record, Time's Up. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, please. We are, we are, I had known of Kim's work, but did not meet her until um, a while back when PopCon was in town, uh, a a conference which everyone I know attends and I, my my, uh, issues with self-esteem come into play, so I never go. (laughs) Because I'm like, they're using big words to talk about stupid music. I'm not going to go. But I, I I don't really know what, what zeitgeist means um but kim let's just jump right into the book so why don't you just kind of uh explain what led you to wanting to write this book and why for 33 and a third um that series if you want to give a little background on that and then just talk about what led you into writing this book yeah so you know i've always been an admirer of the 33 and the third series I discovered it, I believe it was sometime maybe in 2005 or six. And um, as soon as I saw it, it was actually a PopCon when I first saw it. And it was one, um, yeah, right. Definitely a PopCon. But as soon as I saw the books, they just looked amazing. And I, and I opened one up and I just couldn't believe, I mean, it just seemed like a perfect idea, you know, the marrying of words and sounds, which is really what I do when in my wheelhouse. So yeah, I just, as soon as I saw them, I just wanted to write one and it was kind of on my bucket list and many years passed and, you know, I moved from being somebody who wrote about music as a, a critic and um, occasionally as a journalist to somebody who ended up going to uh, pursue a doctorate and um, and then it just took all of those years for me to finally try to write one. So in 2014, when I was finishing up my PhD at UCLA, uh, my PhD is in English, when I was finishing that up, I submitted a proposal and I was able to talk to Corey Glover, who's the lead singer for Living Color, and Vernon Reed, the guitar player. They were kind enough and generous enough to talk to me for this proposal, for this thing that I wanted to write. And, um, you know, so I wrote the proposal, I sent it in, I thought it was really good. I was excited. I was hopeful. And then it was rejected. And so that was 2014. And I was disappointed. Did they tell you why? Did they tell you why no. they rejected it? No, no. They just, you know, I, as, as, as some of your listeners probably know, there's this, the way it works is that there's this call for papers. It used to be that people would wait, you know, just with just like real excitement for this call to come out. And it could be every few years. Sometimes it wasn't on any kind of schedule. Um, now it seems to happen every year, uh, but I, you know, they got they get a lot. So for the year, well, we'll fast forward in a moment. But anyway, they get hundreds, right? Hundreds of these. So they don't respond or tell anyone why it's accepted or not accepted. Well, not not why it's not accepted. Anyway, so I applied. It was rejected. I was disappointed. Uh, Vernon told me later that he was disappointed. 
And, um, and I, and I texted him and I said, Hey Vernon, if I ever try again, would you still be willing to talk to me for the book? Would you still be willing to do that? And he said, absolutely. So six years passed and I tried again in 2020 and, um, I heard about it. I just, it just wasn't on my radar. I heard about the call two weeks before it was due on June, July 1st. And, um, and I said to myself, I had a lot on my plate because I had my first book was coming out in December. I had all this stuff on my plate. But I said to myself, you know, I'm going to text Vernon. And if he gets back to me, then that's a sign that I should pursue this because, you know, probably not shockingly, Vernon does not get back very quickly on text. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I texted him and uh, I was shocked. He got back to me the same day and said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, go for it. So I did. And I tweaked the proposal. I didn't change it much. And it was accepted. Oh, and so, yay. yeah, so that was the one in 2020. And so yeah, and I, time's up, the reason why I chose time's up, and not vivid, I think vivid is probably the expected choice for this yeah, kind of series. Some- yeah, I mean, I think people would assume it would be vivid. You know, I like vivid. I, I, uh, you know, I loved Cult of Personality. It was everywhere, of course. When I that was '88, so I was in college, my sophomore year, and you know, I loved the song. That was a great song, great riff. Still, every time I hear it, it's like, wow, that is a that is truly an iconic riff. Um, and I like the record, but uh, I didn't love it. I liked it. I liked it a lot. And uh, but it wasn't until Time's Up that I feel like I really got a sense of what this band really was about, what they could do. Uh, I think times, I think vivid is, you know, kind of a very mainstream rock record and absolutely legible, you know, to folks who love hard rock and metal and, you know, and it just had lots of hits on it, but I think times up is just a little more challenging, a little more experimental. Um, the collaborations even, you know, having collaborations on there with folks who are not normatively associated with rock. Uh, I just think it's just this really bold, interesting record. And I like it more. And you know, I just to me that, it better. To me, that absolutely makes sense because to, Time's Up is actually the more important of the two records to me. Mm-hmm. Because you, you come out with a record like Vivid, right? You have a huge hit with that. I was in college at that time as well, and they ruled, and I'm from New York, so, and we Me all too. loved them. They were black rock stars from New York, and we would see, I would see Vernon, when Vernon would come in someplace, people, it was like a rock god was walking, Corey Glover, when we would see them, we saw them around, you know, so it meant something. The harder thing to do is you're a black rock band in the 80s, you have mainstream success, and then you follow it up. Because at that time, people want you to make the next record that absolutely sounds like the first record. They want you to expand upon that. And they made a really different record to the first record. And that is why I think it was really, it's great that you're focusing on that album because it's more complex. They do a lot more different stuff. And the follow-up is always the hardest after you've had that kind of mainstream success because what what the record company and what people even show managers want you to do is more of that we can get bigger and bigger and bigger and that album is it's a great counter 
part, but it's not really more of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's, it is its own thing, you know, and they really wanted to do something different. You know, they were really clear. They didn't want to do Vivid 2. Um, I think they may have paid a little bit for not doing Vivid 2, but they didn't want to do Vivid 2. They also wanted to expand their palette, not just sonically, but also in terms of the lyrical content. I mean, if you look at what they're writing about, you know, they were always a political band and that voice was sorely needed, particularly at that time in in both the US, but also in New York in particularly with race relations and everything being what they were at that specific moment. But they were known as, you know, kind of a message band and very political. And I think this Times Up also contains certainly songs that engage race and class and gentrification and all these really important issues. But also they were talking about things like the environment, right? Um, Times Up is about climate change and the environment. And that, you know, not a lot of people were talking about that and particularly not like on a hardcore song, you know, in 1990. And then they had songs about love and songs about death and grief. And, you know, Solace of You was about living, you know, Corey Glover's dad passed away right before they blew up. And Solace of You was about that. And that final song, This Is The Life, which is one of my favorites, um, you know, was talking about embracing the life you have and, and what it means to walk a certain path and, you know, and accepting that path. These were, you know, these were just like an expansion of the things that they were kind of connected to or conflated with when they came out. You know, this is the band that talks about politics and, and, you know, and that's it. So, yeah. You make, you make a point and, and certainly they're going to be, I mean, they, you know, there's the really cliche of the sophomore slump and it's either sometimes a slump or it's an elevation because very often I mean, there was a tremendous amount of pressure on these guys before. I mean, when Mick, you know, the whole Mick Jagger connection, and I mean, there was all eyes were on them for so many reasons, being black, being the first, being coming out of New York. There were not a lot of bands coming out of New York at that point. New York was a hip hop place in the, in the eighties, you know, the late eighties. But sometimes once you have that success, I'm not saying anything that people don't know. The sophomore record almost gives you a chance like, okay, now you know who I am. Now I'd like to do something a little different, a little different from that. Um, What I was going to ask you is what, and then you make a really good point in the book. And I want to ask about how you handle this stylistically from a, a writing, but you make a good point that, especially with black bands, black rock bands, their, e- their next one comes along and people forget. So it's living color. They have their moment. And then it's rage mm-hmm. comes along. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the shelf life is, um, is a lot shorter, unfortunately. Well, because it's treated as a novelty, right? Yeah. So it's like, Oh, look at this thing. This was right. great. Right. Yeah. No, that, that's the, that's, that's one of the, um, I don't know, the unfortunate things about, uh, how Living Color were received um, in the aftermath of that is that I think a lot of people, and not just not just you know some fans, but also some critics talked about it publicly. We, you know, I think people wanted the floodgates to open. You know, when Living Color did, I mean, I don't, they don't. This is something they don't get enough credit for is just how groundbreaking they were. You know, right. at that time. You know, because they really did effectively. Uh, desegregate rock radio, 
you know, they desegregated, you know, rock as a, as a genre, um, you know, in the, in, from an industry standpoint. And that was a huge, huge deal. And I think people hoped that there would be a ton of black rock bands that would come right after them. That didn't exactly happen. Um, what did happen was I think they, they, they still kind of put their foot in the door and the door cracked open a bit. Um, and so, yeah, then you were able to get some bands that had folks of color, rock bands right. that had folks of color in it, like a Soundgarden, like a Rage Against the Machine, you know, and of course TV on the radio and, and others. But we still haven't had that all black rock band that has reached those oh, and, and Nirvana heights. And Nirvana, and too. Well, right. But do you, you know, I, I have a theory on that that I've had for a very long time, that I've seen it with a lot of different artists. I think the big mistake is black rock is never marketed to black people. They always just, they never, so there's no foundation. You're not building on anything. You might build on a hit and you say, oh, let's go to rock radio. This is where I think black radio has failed black rock artists because there's been no room. Like, it's like you think of all the black radio stations, nobody has a, except for like college radio, maybe no one has a black rock show, right? It could be on the weekends. It could be the show that you have on at midnight, 1 a.m. There's no place mm-hmm. you're not being marketed to. So what happens with a band like In Living Color, and I, I'll, I'll even use Macy Gray as a perfect example. Macy Gray came out. They never, she had a big hit that went pop. They didn't market her to black people at all. So it's like you go, you have the big pop hit. So then you come with the next record and who's the audience from it? You completely ignore the black audience. And if you do that on on a first record, it's hard to then come to black radio and everything at the second or third record and say, here's something for you. And I think the mistake is assuming that black people are a monolithic group. We only like R&B. We only like hip hop. When many black people love rock music, including people who love hip hop and R&B, right? So Mm -hmm. you don't market to black people. Then when you come with the next record, it's like, if you don't have the immediate thing that people hear as a hit, who's the audience you're going to? You didn't really build one. You built out, here's hit songs, and didn't give that group a foundation because you just think, well, they're Black and it's rock music. And when you mm-hmm. do that, you, you you make it shaky ground for these bands because you're not building them a real foundation. Everybody has to have the foundation to put the house on. I don't mm-hmm. care if you're a pop or whatever. It's why you can see a lot of pop divas have a long career after the hits have stopped coming because there's that, say, a gay audience, right? A gay audience will keep you working around the world if you have the songs, but there mm-hmm. there was an audience built for you. When you're mm-hmm. a black rock band, if you just say rock and then it's treated like a novelty, you haven't given anybody that foundation to build upon. And I think that was a mistake that was made with those bands at that time, thinking it's rock music where we can't automatically, we can't market it to black people. When there's a whole segment of the black population who came to these bands, but they weren't marketed to. Mm -hmm. Ah, That's a fabulous point. Mm -hmm. Um, That really is a fabulous point. You know, I will say that the band, you know, I think that they, They would have liked that. And I think they did what they could to talk directly to black audiences. You know, they played Showtime at the Apollo. They were on that twice. They were on that for Vivid. They were on that for Time's Up. You know, that's when I first saw them, saw their faces. It wasn't MTV because I didn't didn't have MTV at that time. So it was Showtime at the Apollo for me seeing, seeing them. 
And so, and I remember being very, very interested in how the crowd was going to receive them, you know, cause I watched that show. Right. <laughs> I knew what that crowd right. could be like, you know? right. <laughs> I was just like, how's this going to go? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, no, I think that the band and, you know, they played Arsenio, you know, obviously Arsenio mm-hmm. was really popular, but I think they, you know, they wanted black fans, you know, they wanted mm-hmm. black folks to come out. It is, it is, I, you know, I can't agree with you more with what you just said. And they were the embodiment of it, right? They're like, we're Black Rock kids. We're here. We know there's a community of us out here. Well, and also I feel like eclecticism is something that white artists can indulge in. And I'm saying indulge in a very sarcastic way. You're allowed to go outside of your lane. If, if you're um, a white artist, because it's seen as creative, you know, you're making a journey, whatever. I mean, Macy Gray, you know, I had a friend who was signed to Epic at the same time that Macy was. And ex- nothing in common other than being black and was basically told we have a black artist, you know, and we have a black artist we can get on pop radio. And the problem is Macy didn't. That one song, I Try, which is fantastic, is like her, um, what if God were one of us, you know, Joan Osborne. It sounds nothing like the rest of the record. And then she puts out a second record and everybody's like, what is this, you know? So I think that black artists were never given that freedom to be musicians as opposed to being stars, you know, because I I know Corey and Vernon, you know, just from around, and they listen to everything. They listen to everything. And most musicians listen to everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's the fact that we, you know, I, I just wanted to shift for a second. The setup of the book is interesting because you sort of have it. I don't want to say divided because that makes it sound like it's it's like clinical, but there are interviews. You have interviews with the with the band, and then you have your own your own story and your own analysis, which is great because they kind of come together. Um, I was going to ask you why you did it like that, and then just sort of talk about you know it's so weird to me still that it's that we're like wow you were a black kid and you listened to rock music, you know that people still have that mentality. But why did you do the book the way you did stylistically? I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, so this is uh this is just a personal book for me. And yeah. uh, this is a band that just uh, really was very meaningful for me. Uh, you know, just per- my personal development, but also like my musical development, just a really important band. So I knew that if I was going to write this book, it wasn't just going to be about, you know, kind of a extended uh, album review, right? Or like an extended track by track thing. I, I knew I had to talk a little bit about my story. I mean, I, 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 I <laughs> when I, so when I finished writing it, when it was at the copy edit stage, I, I showed it to uh, my husband who reads a lot of my work and, and he's also just, you know, really honest. And when he was done reading it, I asked him, is there too much me in there? (laughs) And a little too much me in there. And he said, no, I think it's fine. You know, and I I don't think there's too much you in there at all. I think that the you is important, especially with a band like this, because this was a band and I don't mean to, this is a band where the you plays in, 
This is a band where you're looking, I mean, it would be like me looking at a, a band of women. I'd go, wow, I see myself up there. Mm-hmm. So how could you not be in it? You know? Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, and that's how I felt. And it did feel natural to, to have this chapter that would focus on, on, you know, my journey with, with being, yeah, being a black kid. And, you know, and it was the seventies. I grew up in the seventies, uh, came of age in the eighties. And of course this band emerged in the late eighties and, you know, as seen by, you know, through all of the coverage, you know, the reception of the record, race and genre is a big deal. I mean, it's still, it still is a big deal. I mean, uh, you know, we have reaction videos now where we've got black folks listening to rock for the first time and it being right. entertainment. It's so bizarre, you know, but I know I hate, the, I, you've talked about those two kids who go, Oh my God. I hate, <laughs> I hate those. I, a, a, I don't believe them. I think they're, well, a, actually I do. You want to no, know why? I, I, be- no, no, I will tell you why I believe them because they didn't grow up listening to radio like we did. So everybody has a targeted playlist and targeted things that they're listening to. And that our generation, like you, grew up in the 70s, became come of age in the 80s. You put on the radio and you would hear everything. We would hear pop, rock, all on the same station. And they don't get that at all. No, it's not. I know that. I'm just saying and things that, that it's seem treated obvious, like a. That it's but, treated like a freak show. That's why I well, don't like it. Yeah, but well, you know, well, everything now is entertainment, right? Just the yeah. reaction and the discovery video, the more you can give, oh my God, the more eyes view your channel. So now yeah. it's tied into a whole other process of voyeurism and look over here, send me likes, you know? But I love the people that are just discovering the music because. I wish to me, I want them to better I, music. Well, <laughs> like really, you're discovering because, Phil Collins. Great. All right. Well, now. listen, Phil Collins isn't the worst, but the, uh, the thing is, these kids are walking around with computers. These <laughs> yeah, kids, okay. these kids are walking around with computers in their pocket and don't know the access to some of the great, 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 great music that's well, been out for years. I and wouldn't years. start with well, Phil Collins. But. Well, well, well <laughs> one, one thing I will say about those twins, by the way, I actually did a little bit, not a deep dive, but a slight mm-hmm. bit of research on them is that they mm-hmm. actually grew up without popular music at all because they oh. grew up in a really religious family is my all understanding. Right. So they mm-hmm. actually did not have any exposure. I don't think to any popular music. Um, but you know, there are other folks who are older and who've had different experiences and yeah, and then, you know, there's this whole kind of industry now, like online cashing industry, in on it, cashing <laughs> in on, oh, okay. Yeah. Reactions, even, right. <laughs> yeah. Even stuff like, I forget there was one person called, I forget what he called, but it, you know, you'll see things like black man listens to rock for the first time. It's like, oh, come on. You know, it's, like, like, it's just really, really it's like, sir, not sir, really. sir. <laughs> Woman figures, woman figures out how to open door. Right. It's like, it's like oh you're doing God, too much, sir. Open- <laughs> you are doing too much, I will sir. say something really funny. In, in high school, I'm older than you guys. In high school, in I was in high school in the 70s. And um, um, <laughs> my boyfriend, who was black, literally would go, oh, my God, the average white band, man, they're like, you know, he did not believe. I said, "What?" He thought they were black, and I said, "Why do you think they're called the average white man?" <laughs> That's right. You know, average white band. <laughs> <laughs> and that's also the other thing too is like uh, from my you know vast experience of nothing, I've always found 
Well, especially, I guess, in my writing career that, you know, black audiences are way more open-minded to stuff than a rock, you know, a rock. I don't think it would even, you know, you, you can go down the list of artists that were, had as much acceptance among black fan base and you won't see a counterbalance with that with, with, you know, ask the average white person, name me a Luther Vandross song, mm-hmm. name me a bad, unless you were in the punk scene, name me a bad brain song, anything, Blah. but a black audience would know certain mm-hmm. artists. And maybe that's mm-hmm. just because marketing or whatever, but mm-hmm. I always found that, um, um, who did you grow up listening to? <laughs> Yeah, so um, so I had a mom who was really into rock music, and she's the one who influenced me. And so at first, it was you know what she was listening to. I didn't have an older sibling who introduced me or friends at school. It was her. So she would you know she would bring home the seventies, right? So she would bring home the Sex Pistols. She brought home Nevermind the Bollocks. She brought oh. home you know yeah she did. She brought home Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Dan the Torpedoes. She brought home Devo. Um, freedom of choice. She brought home Pat Benatar, um, Thin Lizzy stuff, Boomtown Rats stuff. Talk about oh, a black wow, rock Boomtown Rats. <laughs> talk about a black rock. Talk about somebody who has never really gotten his due. Is Phil Lynott? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, gosh, what a spectacular performer! What an incredible writer! Um, yeah, and an you know, incredible story, and the story too. I mean, I'm kind of not to. He screams out for biopic, and I hate biopics, but he yeah. screams out for biopic. You know. So there's a really wonderful because I'm uh, I'm 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 kind of a um, like really into Ireland. So there's a mm-hmm. there, oh you so and there's a reason for that. So you two was also a really early favorite. That was a little later, you know, mm-hmm. when I started yeah. discovering my own music. But um, but yeah, there's a there's an Irish documentary on Phil Lynott that's really, really great. Um, oh, okay. I'll have to yeah, find it's, it. <laughs> it's really good. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm, I, I still to this day, I'm a, a big fan of, of him personally and then Lizzie and, you know, um, yeah, very important, very important person. And, but yeah, so then later when I started to develop my own interests, it was Blondie and Cheap Trick and eventually later U2. I had a Doors phase. Um, yeah, Elvis Costello, um, and and then I was very disheartened, and I don't talk about this in the book, but mm-hmm. but yeah, when I when I I you know I was there with the whole oh, when he called Ray Charles the N word, and that all oh, got that. in the press, uh. and we 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 boycotted him. We like, like it made a difference, but, um, I lived in San Francisco. No, we just said, Mm -hmm. you know, we loved him. We used to have little punk rock new wave dance parties and we'd all have the latest record and then we all loved him. And then when he said that, it was like, he's dead to us. And it took me a long time to come back and, and, you know, and now he's taken Oliver's army off of armed forces, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't know. He was dead to us. We were we were in rock against racism in San Francisco. We were going to change the world, and nothing happened. Yeah, but that's the kind of stuff that I think you know. Um, that's the kind of stuff that 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 artists and um, uh, radio and MTV and all kinds of things don't think about. And this comes back to this conversation about marketing to black kids. You know. I, I don't, obviously Elvis Costello, whatever that was all about, he's given explanations over the years, but um, he really wasn't thinking (laughs) 
<laughs> that there might be some black kids who like him, right, who might be offended. Um, yeah, no, that was tough. That was one of those things I had to kind of figure out how to negotiate. And um, it was confusing and it was also really disheartening. Well, it's um, also Eric Clapton, you know, just being, as far as I'm concerned, racist, yeah. you know. Do you realize and- that's why I don't play Elvis? To this day, I still don't play Elvis Costello records. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it just being yeah. a racist, but you know, and and especially it's even worse with Clapton because he yeah. has his entire career on the backs of black musicians. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, like he's got yeah. no excuse, you know. The I was a junkie excuse doesn't work, but <laughs> no, that's yeah. what you yeah. are, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think how much of an impact um, or just what are your feelings about the whole Afropunk, what it was and what it is now? Because it's very different what it is now but were you engaged you mean the, in the it? festival in brooklyn when mm-hmm. it used to be free no, and it was whole, black oh no, i was about to say it no, was the black whole mo- it used the to whole be black moment. rock and punk bands before right, it right. became in, big in, names that i'm like does this have anything to do with no, punk it's like no okay. in the, it used to be in the parking lot yep. at bam or at fort green park you know with the dirt bombs and people like that playing but what do you i'm just curious what you think because that's always kind of Mm-hmm. It's almost replaced in people's mind the whole BRC in terms of a moment. I'm just wondering what you thought mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, so the, that's a good question. And um, I feel like, um, so I gave a talk with um, Lena Dawes. You all, you're all, I'm sure, familiar with Lena mm-hmm. Dawes. And, and this is um, this is one of her favorite topics. And I mean, and I get her righteous anger and I, I, I share it. But yeah, I mean, it, I love that film when I saw the film. When I yeah, saw the documentary, it spoke to me, uh, of course, and um, and I could see myself in those young folks, and yeah, it's, it 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 isn't what it was. It is unfortunate, but I think you know this is what happens with everything. Like everything gets commodified. You know, whenever whenever it's clear that there's a chance for money to be made, this is what happens. And unfortunately, with something like this, where so much of it was about community. The spirit was about community and finding a place and, you know, and, and, and being able to be in spaces that felt safe. Um, that is really particularly unfortunate, you know. Especially since, I mean, just from my experience, I mean, I lived in California uh, from 76 to 80 and then came back to New York and I was very involved in the hardcore punk scene here. Uh, don't even ask me why and involved in the punk scene in San Francisco. And it was as scenes could go. There were a lot of black kids hanging out. There weren't a ton. And then certainly the bad brains blew it wide open. Yeah. Did you ever get a chance to see them perform? No, no, I never did. And, you know, and that's one of the things too. So living color. So this is like, yeah, 80, 1990 when I heard times up was, Important in a lot of ways, you know. I, I like I like the way um, the music sounded, but also it was like um, heavier and a little edgier than what I had been listening to up to that point. I mean, I was always into rock and I liked hard rock. I loved Van Halen. I loved you know other bands, but I just I I, I had never been into hardcore at all. And again, they're not a hardcore band, but that song is, and it really just, you know, woke my ass up and, and, and spoke to all of that kind of emotion that I had inside of me and all of that anger that I had inside of me. And then it kind of did help me 
to then, it was like a bridge to other stuff. And then I got interested in other kind of heavier stuff. I got interested in, and across subgenres of rock. So I got into Metallica and I got into, you know, all of the like 90s bands like Soundgarden and Alice in Chains and, and um, you know, I was into Nine Inch Nails and stuff like that. Um, I got a little more into suicidal tendencies and stuff, but that I feel like, yeah. I feel like Time's Up and Living Color actually not only was exciting because they looked like me and because they, they were fucking great, but also they were bridged to like ed slightly edgier, harder music um, for me. Well, that would have been the bands. And again, cause those guys are about my age. Maybe well, Vernon and I, I think are the same age and Corey might be a little young. Those were the bands they would have been seeing, you know, I mean, they would have gone cause you could see the bad brains like at, at, you know, like, of shopping no not even shop a bodega down the street i mean you just mm -hmm. would have seen those guys mm -hmm. you weren't missing anything with the hardcore scene let me just say some of it was really great but it was not a great place to be a girl mm -hmm. i will say that it was a little mm -hmm. it's a little aggressive but there was mm -hmm. some great and bad brains i almost put in a whole nother category because they they did everything i mean they did every and they could also play musicianship was not top of the list for a lot of and that's the thing about living color too i think they brought such a legitimacy i mean because vernon was already like established mm -hmm. through defunct and everything a, as a major talent you know mm -hmm. vernon's a rock god and when vernon used to listen when we would see them in places in new york and just around town it always felt like you were in the presence of a rock guy and on He's that he is and we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. 
we're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. And we're back. (laughs) So, Kim, I really want to ask, go back to Time's because I really think people should go back and give that album a full respin. And anybody who hasn't heard it, I really think you should listen to it now. Why do you think it's still, it really sounds so fresh? That album was made in 1990, but when I listened to that record, it could have been made this year. It does. It, what is it about that album in particular that, that, that you think helps it stand up so well? Yeah, I mean, I think I th- that's such a good question. Um, you know, in terms of the sounds, um, you know, I think just the movement between these different kind of categories of music, I, I hate calling them genres. I mean, I know they're called genres, but, um, you know, my, my kind of music historian part of me always wants to push back on that because, of course, genres are are made up, right? They were, they're marketing categories. They were made up a long time ago. They were just used to kind of market it to different um, people and particularly black and white people at a certain point in our history. So, but I'll just call them like categories or sounds or whatever. Um, you know, Time's Up has so many of those different sounds and, and, and categories of music. And then even in the same song. And I think that's something that you, you, you hear more now. Right. I mean, right. I think you I think that's something that you hear more now than you did then. Um, so I think that's something that makes that record unique. And then just in terms of the lyrics, unfortunately, so many of the things that they were talking about then are still relevant today, are, are, are still more than relevant today. Um, it is it is sad, but it is true that, you know, you listen to Pride and it's just like, oh my goodness, you know, not only is it still making a comment on these kind of, you know, short-sighted ideas about race and genre, but it's, you know, don't ask me why I play this music, but also this whole idea of history being a lie that they teach you in school. You right. Know? And it really kind of, you know, is so present with just all of these moral panics around, you know, Everything. 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 Anything other. Anything other. Anything other is right now where it's a threat to the world. (laughs) Yeah. It is amazing. And then, you know, information overload, right? Which is kind of predicting the chaos of social media and the internet and all of that, you know? And, um, And then, of course, you know, as we were talking about, you know, time's up and just sounding the alarm about the environment and here we are. And you know, so I just think it, it sounds uh, sonically present and, and contemporary and, 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 and current uh, because of all of these meldings of, of, of different, um, you know, categories and sounds. 
but also just the lyrical content. It, it just really, it could have been written by a band, you know, that just emerged last year. I feel like when you're, and, and on one hand you can say, what does it matter where people are ranked or where people are thought of? But I feel like living color always gets forgotten when listing the bands. And I don't know if that's just the marketplace, if that's just people's attention span, it's just that the venues got smaller, but I just feel like it, it's, it's, they're almost a footnote in a way. And that's kind of, or they're symbolic. And, and I always, I mean, you, I, what do you think about, I'll ask you since you're the, um, this is your lane. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so when I started writing this, one of the things, and I thought this too, when I was thinking in these similar ways about them being kind of underrated. And I mean, you hear that whenever you go, whatever, you just go to YouTube and, and, and look at any video and you look at the comments and, and people, I mean, the span is beloved, you know, but people are always like, Oh, they're so underrated. And, um, and so when I started doing the research and reading all of the reviews and, 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 and thinking about kind of their um, critical and, and kind of commercial um, reception, it, in their time, they were not underrated at all. I mean, people really did see what they were, even through all of the noise of the conversation around race. There wasn't a single writer who didn't see, you know, their great vast potential and many many writers compared them favorably and even felt like they were better than bands like Led Zeppelin um, or Van Halen or whatever um, I think they're better than Led Zeppelin um, I love Led Zeppelin by the way um, I say that as someone who loves Led Zeppelin but I think, All they're, right. I think they're more interesting than Led Zeppelin but, okay, I'll give, I'll give, you know, I'll, okay, all right. Do you, do you think some of their but, success wait. was was rocky because they broke up? They started to have, you know, issues about maybe, to, you know, because when, you, when you're not having success at a certain level, that can bring turmoil inside of a band. And then, you know, they have someone leave, then they kind of broke up, then they did break up, then they got back together. And that can also, that, that can kind of take a toll as well. Yeah, so, so... Yes, and I will answer that. I, I, so, so I think that they were really embraced warmly, like when they appeared, and they had the kind of success that bands can just dream about, you know, back to back Grammys and and millions of records sold, and you know the first record really well reviewed, the second record almost universally completely well reviewed, um, and then yeah, and then they took this chance as Vernon puts it, it was the blackest record they ever made times mm -hmm. up, you know, and then, yeah, I think <sighs> Muzz leaving. Um, and, and then one more record with stain with uh, Doug Wimbish uh, and then breaking up. I do think that that certainly, you know, kind of, um, uh, derailed some of that momentum. You know, they broke up for like seven years. Um, that's a while. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I, but I, but I also think that what happened was again, not that they were underrated in their moment because they were not underrated in their moment. People saw their greatness, but I think just following up with a record that was just not as easy to digest 
as time's up as that second record. And, oh, and, and Amy said this earlier, and I think it's true. White rock bands were given a lot more leeway at that time Absolutely. to, you know, to cross boundaries, musical boundaries, and to, and to work in all these different categories they're cele- or they're genres. They're celebrated for And they're supported by their labels with it. Like, you celebrated, know. Yeah, right? Sure. And, and, you know, I think they were punished for doing that kind of work in a second record. And so when it didn't sell as well, I just think that, you know, people just didn't stick around. I think a lot of people jumped off the bandwagon and didn't stick around to see this band continue to evolve and continue to fulfill that promise. And this is also like just the beginnings of the grunge movement is starting to come out now and, and, and attention really shifted for good, bad and indifferent to, because I mean, that was a, that was a, a game changer right there. So rock Absolutely. and capital R rock and roll suddenly became like anathema to people. And they were looking at this kid in, you know, I think that's true. You know, yeah. I think Soundgarden gets overlooked a lot, to be honest with you. And they predate and they predate grunge, you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think sacrilege, they may be the better band between them mm-hmm. and Nirvana and Nirvana was great, obviously. But I think that a lot of these bands got lost mm-hmm. when this when this when this tornado came mm-hmm. and just wiped everything out. Who do you who do you listen to now? I'm just of, of any kind of uh, I won't say genre. I almost said it. Category. Yeah. <laughs> I almost said it. I won't say it. Um, who are you listening to now? Um, let's see. Who do I like? I like. Um, so I'm a big fan of Rhiannon Giddens. You know, for like a lot of reasons. I really, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's. Really I really talented. love. I really just love her music, and I also just like her. You know, she's a storyteller. Right? Yeah, and and so I really appreciate that about her. I like Anderson Pack. I think Anderson Pack is really cool. Yeah, Um, yeah, super interesting artist. Um, I, you know, I definitely uh, really enjoy um, Jack White, which won't be a surprise to anyone because Mm. I I wrote a whole book that has his name in the title. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, there's a chapter on him in my first book. Um, Yeah, I, uh, who else am I listening to that's like uh, very, very current? my mind is, of course, going blank right now. No, but, it's all right. Yeah. That's why I listen to the same three artists over and over again. It makes it just so much easier for me. I just go, yeah, I'm listening to uh, the same three people. <laughs> uh, we can have our White Stripes conversation off camera because I don't get it. See, that's why you don't I get just, the White Stripes. Okay, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, that's why I just stay in my. I don't get it. My dancey divas <laughs> with questionable vocals, it. but high production value phase. I could not easily- be happier when they didn't get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Not that that's a beat, but I was like, oh, good. There is some pity. I'm not alone. In the- <laughs> I'm not alone in the not getting it, you know. But people but, were really mean about Meg White's drum playing. I thought that that was no, a little she's the, the way- She's the one that I get. 
It's him. I don't get. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting that you get her, but not him. Yeah, no, yeah. we definitely need to talk about that. Yeah, we need to, yeah. We need to have a conversation about yeah. the white stripes. I don't get it. I'm sorry. Oh. It's all right. I don't get the strokes either. Okay. I don't so get Interpol. Well, listen, I don't New get York. The, I don't get. You know, I don't get New York. I don't get New listen, York at that point. I don't life. get the Smiths. <laughs> to this day, I do oh, not understand the Smiths. The Smiths. Oh, I do wow. not understand people's obsession with the Smiths. No, can I just tell you, I, I had a just, revelation. Do about not the Smiths. Understand. No, I had a revelation the other day about this with Andy Warhol. Well, the cure. I don't get the cure either. Huh? Oh, be okay. Let you. me explain it. Here's my revelation <laughs> about the Smiths. At the time when the Smiths came out, mm-hmm. I was just, I was not in college. I didn't go to college. I didn't have the college music mm-hmm. vibe thing going on. I was just wrapping up my years in the trenches of punk rock. I wanted to hear no white people singing at me at all. Leave me alone. And Listening, watching all these clips, I realize it's Morrissey I don't like. The band themselves are phenomenal. I just don't like him. I don't like his voice. The Cure, mm. I didn't get until I saw them at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing, and I'm not a fan. And I went, "Holy crap, they're incredible live!" But I don't get them either. Wow, I, really don't get it. I, don't, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm speechless. It's quite right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't get them. I could give you more of a and list. I like of people. every day, but I'm like, no, you know, I could give, I could give you a list. I could in do college entire... when everybody was going no. through their Smiths moment. I was no, like, no, I would, but okay, I wasn't in fine. college until mm-hmm. 2010. So by then, you know, I could give you a list of people I don't get. I mean, of all different categories. I mean, how long do you have? I mean, I, <laughs> I mean the Smiths. I understand because of Morrissey's. Affect, like I oh, guess. No, this has nothing to do yeah. with that. That shit is terrible. It's terrible. No, it's it's great song. <laughs> it's that good. His guitar. Hey, excuse me, Neil and Chris. He Johnny Marr plays with Neil and Chris and Brian Ferry, so he's a great guitar player. Well, yeah. Well, Johnny Marr is great. He's a great musician. Yeah, yeah. They're not my be all and end all, but I just don't get. Yeah, we'll have that conversation because I'm telling you, there are just some people. I'm like, what am I not hearing that you're hearing? Yeah, and no, it's not we- even. Yeah, or yeah, it's not even like the regulars. Like nobody gets Alicia Keys. We none of us understand why she's popular. <laughs> nobody understands why Coldplay is popular. Nobody understands a lot of Coldplay people. is a mystery to me. It's a mystery I do to not understand. It's a mystery. Uh, John it's, Mayer is a mystery. Oh yeah, that's a mystery to yeah. me too. All yeah, right, good. And, and, with, and with and with Morrissey, I mean, like more like his, you know, his like. Way yeah, and all his shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but but the cure, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, but. I don't get it either. <laughs> no, 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 I don't understand why you don't understand. No, they're so, overrated. Oh, I heard because when they first came out, I mean, I like those early stuff, and then I just like sort of like, but when I saw them perform, no, seriously, when I yeah. saw them perform, I suddenly <laughs> went, oh my god, now I get it. But on Rick, it that. Okay, I mean, I'm I love six, Roxy six, music. But that's different. Roxy music it's is very like, different. It's di- very, very different. different. Yeah, it's very I'm different. I'm 64. That music hit at a time in my life where I was already formed. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So it's not mm-hmm. like, oh, I remember. I remember Killing an Arab coming out in the 70s, whatever. It just doesn't, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything to me. Where certain bands yeah. did change my life. Sex Pistols changed my life, you know, mm-hmm. in The Clash. The first class. I just, it just, I don't know what to tell you, Kim. We'll have to meet up and I'll tell you. No, no, that's fine. What's wrong with me? I don't know. <laughs> let me let me ask you about Kate Bush. Are you happy about Kate Bush? I love very, Kate Bush. Very, okay. I've loved very. Kate Bush from oh, album very. one, the very first time I heard her years. voice. <laughs> you know, I very. love anybody who just has 
she just has her own Lane. energy, her own thing. Mm-hmm. No one sounds like that. No one's mm-hmm. voice will ever sound like that. And mm-hmm. that uniqueness of her voice from the very, very first time I heard it was like, I'm really, in, I'm, I'm into this. You know, it's like, it's why I love Grace Jones. It's like, it's not because you think of Grace Jones as being this, the most technically proficient singer ever, but no one's going to sound like Grace Jones. No one's going to deliver that song. Like even when she does mm. covers of other people's songs, she's made them her own. It's just a very unique individual energy. And that's why I really like her. That's why yeah, I like I'm, Kate. Yeah. That's, I'm not even like a huge <laughs> Kate Bush fan. I like Kate Bush though for what she represents in a lot mm. of ways. I, I mean, I do. There's her, listen, one of my favorite guitar players is Johnny Thunders. He couldn't play his way out of a paper bag for Christ. <laughs> you know, the the ability to actually, I mean, we all suffered through the first couple of times Mary J. Blige played in concert. It was painful. You know, I could listen to her <laughs> sing. I could listen to that woman sing the phone book. I could listen to that. I would rather hear Mary J. Blige than any technically great singer because she feels it. But... You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I love Mary. No, but yeah, Kate Bush, I'm very happy. I'm very happy whenever women get into that boys club. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy. I'm very happy about short of, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a woman who would get in that I would just run screaming in the opposite. Door. I don't want to say anything about that. <laughs> you have to support women. I will tell you like my good friend Pia Zadora told me, keep your head up, Courtney. <laughs> keep your head up. And I said, thank you, Pia. Thank you. That's great. I have no idea. That's going to be Courtney's 33 and a third. <laughs> Except I'm that it'll only, it'll, it'll only be a third. I feel like I'm the only one who has all her albums and can talk about them. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you want that on your resume. <laughs> Listen, Pia is a legend and an icon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And on that note, <laughs> Courtney, he's like, he's grabbing the albums out of his Wait, I'm trying to say, where's my section with him? He's, gonna, he's, he's gonna, got them over he's here gonna, somewhere. He's got him. I know. He's going to hold them up. I don't, so that my, I don't have my peer right next to me, but I do have another icon. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. Come on. That's apples and oranges. That's not yeah. even apples and oranges. That's apples and, and <laughs> I don't know what fruit Pia would be. Not Listen, even a fruit. Pia is... A nice mandarin growing on a tree full of juice and sunshine. And on that note, thank you so much, Kim. Thank you for being on our crazy, wacky show. Kim Matt's book is called Time's Up. It's part of the Bloomsbury Academic Press 33 and a third, which has put out hundreds of books. And but she also has, what's the title of your, your, your other books, Kim? Let's give them all the yeah. books. Uh, oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My first book is called Fictional Blues, Narrative Self-Invention from Bessie Smith to Jack White. And there you go, kids. Oh, that explains. All right. That explains the Jack White <laughs> yeah. title. I was yeah. trying to think yeah. of what. <laughs> Universe, it's University of Massachusetts Press. It came out in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. So yeah. Which means, kids. <laughs> There are books available for you to read. You books like to read at the beach. Like we like we like to support authors. We like music. So thank you guys. Design I'm gonna let you finish. You know what to do. Leave a rating. Tell a friend. Thank you for listening to us on the Pantheon Podcast Network. And we will see you next week. And happy Pride still. Bye.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 